Thick clouds that blur your eyes, your lungs ache and gasp for breath. You hear the coughs of workers from the depths of the tunnel. As you walk towards the sunlight, you glance to see humanoid figures coated in white dust, deadly white dust, emerge with you. Welcome to the Hawk's Nest Tunnel Disaster. In 1930, a civil engineering project called the Hawk's Nest Tunnel Project began to go through Galley Mountain. It was a three mile long tunnel between Astead and Galley Bridge, West Virginia. The plan of the tunnel was to divert water from the New River to a hydroelectric plant downstream, which would be used to produce electricity for Union Carbide's metal plant in Allen, West Virginia. To accomplish this feat, there would be a need for hundreds of workers. And so, unemployed men were recruited for the construction jobs. They were instructed to drill what was majorly sandstone, and at least two-thirds of the workers were black. The project took place during the Great Depression and attracted many. Most of the 5,000 men who worked on the project between, worked between the months of March of 1930 to December of 1931. They earned about 25 cents an hour and worked 60 hours a week. According to Dr. Helen Lang, an associate professor of geology at West Virginia University, 60% of the men worked less than two months, 80% of the men worked less than six months, and 90% worked less than a year. The average length of work for a black worker was 15 weeks and 16 weeks for a white worker. Drilling through sandstone creates silica dust. The dry drilling technique that was used in this project released such large amounts of silica dust into the air that one worker even said that the dust was so thick he could practically chew it. Workers emerge from a hole in the mountain covered in layers of white dust. The interior of the tunnel was a white cloud of silica, which impaired vision and clogged lungs of workers. I interviewed Sarah Bowers, who is a registered ER nurse at Northern Light Eastern Medical Center in Maine about the silica dust. It causes respiratory failure and death, she said. Treatment is supported with lung transplant in the current day. Death rates seem to have declined with increased knowledge of disease, but the risk Risk of exposure to silica dust particles still exists, and cases still occur. Industrial workers ages 15 to 24 are the most at risk, and those who are come in contact with silica dust can only be provided supportive care such as oxygen and other respiratory supports. The best way is to avoid or properly protect industrial workers from exposure to prevent contracting this disease. The disease known as silicosis it is a disease that affects the lungs, slicing them like it's shards of glass. Since Hawk's Nest Tunnel was a license as a civil engineering project, it was not required to even, even the most modest forms of safety regulations. The workers worked in confined and poorly ventilated spaces. Even though the length of employment was rarely more than one year per worker, within months many workers had become sick 
from breathing in the silica dust. They would show signs of psychosis, but were treated with a new, new disease called tunnelitis. The hawk's nest tunnel disasters marked the greatest death toll ever from psychosis in the United States. Of approximately 5,000 men who worked on the project, an estimated 2,900 worked inside the tunnel. Of those men, psychosis claimed the lives of at least 764 workers, most who were black and migrants. The numbers of deaths are debated and are either between 100 and 1,000. According to Union Carbine documents, 80% of the workers became ill, died, or walked off the job after six months of work. The dust was not the only issue that came into play in this event. Racism and Jim Crow laws were rampant in the area. There were hundreds of local white men who worked in the tunnels alongside black workers, but they did not face the same conditions. The black men made up the vast majority of the workforce, and in 1936, some of them testified in front of Congress, stating that they were denied the 30-minute breaks in clean air, unlike their white counterparts. They even said that if they got sick, their supervisors would force them out of bed at gunpoint. Many of the black workers who died were not buried in white cemeteries, and a few were buried in slave cemeteries, while others were buried in unmarked graves according to their death certificates. Local residents have even claimed that some of the workers' bodies were buried alongside the roads near the tunnel. In some cases, there was a, no attempt to notify the victim's family. In, to solve the issue of graves, a funeral parlor in Somersville, West Virginia, located an open field in Martha White's farm and made shabbily made graves for these victims. Its legacy paints a scene of blood, diseased bodies, and coughing black workers who bosses sit on top of on their money stacks. The abuses of workers, their rights, and their health are common tropes in the early 20th century. Sadly, it still continues today. The 1910s and 30s in America were known for its labor activism because workers had enough of the abuses. Workers' relationships with their bosses are always lame with strife because in order to get their basic needs and safety recognized, workers constantly have to push against their bosses. The economic realities of the time of the project and the socio-economic status of workers along with the lack of legal framework used was used to actively kill workers for profit. The Hawks Nest Tunnel disaster has been memorialized over the years in novels, folk songs, and art. In 1938, a poet, Morel published The Book of the Dead based on her interviews with tunnel survivors and their families. The book was reissued in, in 2018. NPR has reported that the same deadly dust has had a resurgence in severe black lung disease cases among coal miners in Appalachia. Miners today are sick and younger and are entering advanced stages of the disease quicker. And of course, in this case, just like the tunnel, federal regulations could also help.
And now we're gonna go to Annie with a very important interview. I interviewed Professor Richard Hartman, who works at West Virginia State University and has done research as well as written about the specifics of the Hawks Nest Tunnel disaster. The questions I asked delved in th into the specifics of the event, the aftermath, and how catastrophic it was for those who worked in constructing the tunnel. So the beginning question I asked Professor Hartman was, can you delve into the, re the reasoning for the Hawks Nest Tunnel and what its purpose was during the time of construction? He simply replied, the construction of the Hawks Nest Tunnel in Fayette County, West Virginia, was one part of a larger hydroelectric part project begun in 1930 by the company's Union Carbide and Carbon Corporation. The tunnel was a link for diverting water from the New River to a downstream hydroelectric generating plant. The necessary planning and governmental review of this project on a public waterway was greatly aided by the differential state government. Interestingly, businessmen, public officials, and the editors of most state papers saw it as a patriotic duty to support the West Virginia coal operators' efforts to keep organized labor out of West Virginia. After World War I, private firms such as Union Carbide and Carbon Corporation started production in the valley. One of its earliest projects needing governmental support was the Hawks Nest Tunnel hydroelectric project. The Hawks Nest hydroelectric project involved the drilling of a three mile long tunnel for diverting water from an impoundment of the New River to a hydroelectric facility. In 1927, Union Carbide created the New Kanawha Power Co Company to develop hydroelectric power on the New River. Under West Virginia's law, the construction of a facility to produce electricity for public use required approval from the state's Public Service Commission. However, the new, the new power company sought and received permission from the West Virginia Public Service Commission for the project, but there were never any plans to provide electric power to anyone other than the alloy plant of Union Carbide. When I asked who was in charge of hiring workers to dig and build the tunnel, why were the workers predominantly black? He said, within the climate of global governmental deference and support, Union Carbide and Carbon Corporation, through their con contracted construction company, Reinhardt and Dennis, the men in charge of these companies, recruited migratory African-American workers and knowingly exposed these workers to hazardous working conditions. They also blocked efforts to compensate workers and survivors and hindered efforts to investigate the causes of the Hawks Nest Tunnel tragedy. I asked, why do you think the companies involved or how do you think the companies involved could have averted the damage caused by building the tunnel? Professor Haltman said, the deaths among the workers of the Hawksness Tunnel began to mount quickly as construction progressed. He emphasized that the number of deaths is difficult to calculate. Reinhardt and Dennis primarily employed out-of-state migratory workers for the Hawksness project. The number of deaths claimed depends on the source. In a testimony before con congressional hearings in 1936, West Virginia Senator Rushdie Holt testified that 2,000 men were doomed to die from silicosis. The press had faulty information about the number of workers that had died. And Dr. Rar Martin Charnack, in his definitive 1986 study on the Hawks Nest Tunnel Project, estimates that within five years after its completion at the Hawks Nest Tunnel, it would have claimed 764 victims, the majority from migrant African-American workers. When the job became so evidently dangerous, were there any precautions made for the benefit of workers, and why were measure, safety measures not applied? Professor Hopman said, it, was, it has long been the, the style of West Virginia business and government leaders to speak of business in glowing terms and to ignore or obscure inconvenient or painful realities. The corporate entities involved in the Hawks Nest Tunnel Project were aware of the hazards to be encountered by their workers. 
They recruited out-of-state workers emphasizing the use of migrant African-American workers in the most dangerous areas of construction. During legislative and judicial hearings, these same corporate entities hindered investigations into the loss of life during construction and efforts to mitigate the, sufferers, the sufferings of workers and their surviving relatives. When I asked, while many workers obtained illnesses, specifically silicosis, did the government leaders do anything to support and help these individuals? The professor said, they, no, they did not. It was not on their agenda or their concern. Time was a major factor from the beginning and the speed of construction was vital to meet such a deadline. This deadline would reinforce the two men, Rein Reinhardt and Dennis, to avoid slower and safer drilling techniques, such as wet drilling, which greatly reduces the amount of dust created. Reinhardt and Dennis knew the dangers inherent in tunneling through silica, although for the reasons of liability, they later claimed ignorance of the dangers. When I asked, why did construction progress as disease became more pertinent? He said that the, present, the presentation of West Virginia history routinely emphasizes the benefits of industrial industrialization rising from a cooperative relationship between business and government. The effect of silica dust on miners have been known for centuries and Union Carbide certainly knew the value of such silica-laden landstone. During a congressional hearing in 1936, an official with the United States Bureau of Mines testified, testified that his department had been issuing warnings about silica for 20 years. Still, the president of Reinhardt and Dennis recalled an interview with the Charleston Daily Mail in 1936 stating that the silica content was about the same in order tubes we drilled and other tubes we drilled and I never heard of silicosis until this job was, was started. Such a statement was implausible as the sandstone within the Hawksness Tunnel tested out as 99.44% pure and a publicity release by Union Carbide stated that it is as fine as a grade of sandstone as it has been found in the world. The discovery of this resource was cited by Union Carbide as the reason for widening the tunnel and exposing workers to even more silica dust. Both Union Carbide and Ryan Harbert and Tennis knew they would encounter silica and what that meant for worker safety. Both companies were also aware of the available methods to protect workers from the silica dust. And while it could be argued that Reinhardt and Dennis had been aware had been unaware of the great damage done, being done to their workers by the dust, they were certainly aware of the protective measures available to their workers. I asked Professor Hartman, how did the surrounding town and its people compensate for the damage the disaster caused? He said that the, these men and their companies were put on trial for the harm caused to their workers, but no compensation could be made if, if the employer used customary construction method, methods regarding if those methods added to the hazard. The jury could not award compensation if the employer claimed ignorance of silicosis or if medical testimony demonstrated confusion between silicosis and tuberculosis. Other cases met with no more success and the final out-of-court settlement of $130,000 ended the first and best attempt at legal compensation on August 5, 1933. The conditions of the out-of-court settlement included that all evidence collected by the plaintiffs must be turned over to the defense. A bill was introduced in February 1933 to add silicosis as a compensable disease, but no employee on the Hawks Nest project would be eligible as drilling ended more than two years prior to the bill's effective date. The recognition of silicosis as an occupational disease deserving of compensation was adopted by 46 states by the end of 1937. Lastly, when I asked how the surrounding communities have learned from this disaster, Professor Hartman made a short but important point. He said nobody has learned a damn thing. It is clear that this disaster was preventable and the lives that were lost were because of negligence. It was disheartening to learn about the relationship between the government and the two construction companies behind the construction of the tunnel. 
they failed to administer proper and necessary safety measures, racially profiled workers, and did not compensate for the lives lost and harm that was caused.